Good morning. We won't be speaking at a, I won't be preaching out of a specific text this morning, but if you have your Bibles open, I would hope that you would have them open to Romans 6 still. We will also be looking at Colossians 2 and a few other passages this morning. We want to spend our time this morning looking at the beauty of the ordinance of baptism. To see the grace that is found there, uh, to be reminded what can, what can be seen there, and, and to once again hear the message that is communicated through baptism. If you, were, if you were to get one point from what is said this morning, this would be it, and hear this clearly. Baptism exists to display to the world the, magnific- the magnificent worth of Christ alone that saves us from our sin. Baptism exists to display to the world the magnificent worth of Christ alone that saves us from our sin. And for me to explain that with mere words, or for us in our finite minds to even comprehend, is, is, is near impossible. The analogy has been used before, and we're all familiar with it probably, of the, the diamond that has been placed upon the velvet backdrop. And if the the diamond is looked at in a dull light with no velvet backdrop, it looks like a maybe a sparkly piece of glass, nothing extra spectacular, something that is certainly not worth the price and the value that has been placed upon it. And then you put that diamond underneath the jeweler's uh, case with all the lights and you put it on top of a black velvet backdrop and now that little piece of glass explodes in as a fiery crystal. And you take it a step further and you take the jeweler's glass and you put it to your eye and the, magne- and the magnification that you can then use on top uh, with the diamond on top of the velvet backdrop with those lights and that mere piece of glass now seen as the diamond for its truly worth explodes in such a way that your mind can't quite comprehend the glory of God's creation. And to explain baptism on its own really is the same as looking at a diamond with a dull light and no velvet backdrop. We would be reading from the scriptures this morning about baptism. And if we were just to merely look at the word baptism and try to explain it without the context of it, we're going to be left with a, a heart that is really cold to a rather fiery doctrine. But it's my goal and aim this morning that we would look at baptism in the light of what Christ has done for us. Look at baptism on the backdrop of the glory of the risen Lamb slain upon our behalf for the salvation of our souls. And when you look at that, when you look at baptism with that as the backdrop, baptism explodes explodes off the pages of the Word of God and by God's grace will enliven and and warm our hearts to what Christ has here in the picture of baptism. The ordinance of baptism in its simplest definition is the outward manifestation of the inner working of spiritual life through Christ. Something that is done outwardly to portray what has been happened what has happened inwardly that Christ has come and saved it is a wide and deep doctrine 
that this morning we will barely scratch the surface up. In fact, so wide and so deep, you might say that we're not scratching the surface, we're just brushing the dust off the top of the surface. A doctrine that has been among the most contested among believers in church history. But one that I trust that we will be able to see this morning for its, its biblical significance and the beauty that is there. This morning we will see scripture answer three questions. If you're taking notes, we're going to answer three questions this morning. Question number one, what is baptism? What is baptism? Number two, why are we to be baptized? Three, what is the picture of baptism? Let's begin with number one. Number one, what is baptism? First of all, let's just look at what the, the Greek word means. The Greek word in the New Testament for baptism is baptisma, meaning to immerse or submerge or to be overwhelmed. And theologians throughout church history have disagreed whether that should be done, whether you go under the water or you should be sprinkled or you should be dipped. And as uh, Reformed Baptists, we would prescribe to what we believe is stronger evidence toward immersion. And in fact, immersion has a stronger symbolism, uh, as we will see later on. But we would also recognize that the New Testament does not give a particular mode of baptism. And that that Greek word could actually be translated and gone with the sprinkling or the dipping. Look with me in your Bibles. We'll look quickly here through in, in the book of Mark. If you have your Bibles open, flip over to Mark 1. We have a few passages there on the mode of baptism, which we would be prescribing to today, that being immersion. Mark 1, and looking at verse 5. Looking at verse 5. John uh, baptizing here the John the Baptist and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, that being John the Baptist, and were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And we would prescribe to immersion today because of them being in the Jordan. And then if you look at verses 9 and 10 of Mark 1, we see Christ. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descended on him like a dove. Flip, open a, flip over a few books to Acts 8. Acts 8 verse 36. We see the, the story here or the, the writing about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Beginning in verse 36 of Acts 8. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Now, all of us would agree this morning that, the, that, the, that simply going underwater and coming up again has really no special significance at all. If it's just merely, baptism is just merely looked at as going down and then coming up. So that would leave us with the question is, why is baptism such a big deal? And why should we be baptized? And do we even have to be baptized? 
So the physical aspect of baptism is being immersed under water. But what is of far greater significance and of importance is the spiritual aspect. That baptism, as I stated earlier, is the outward sign of what has already taken place inside someone's heart. Namely, regeneration, a new life being having been born through the work of Christ and his shed blood and free gift of eternal life. When that work takes place by the power of the Holy Spirit, when God does the work to bring us to life in him, a person is baptized to show the world, and specifically I might add the church, that they have trusted in Christ alone and are submitted to God's will and way in their life. Or, as we put at the very beginning, baptism exists to display to the world the magnificent worth of Christ alone that saves us from our sin. That is what baptism is. There's a physical aspect, there's a spiritual aspect. But why? Second question, why are we to be baptized? Why are we to be baptized? We've read many times this morning, both in First Light and here in the main service, Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are to be baptized because Christ instituted the ordinance of baptism after the resurrection. This was, as Bob stated earlier, right before he ascended, he instituted the ordinance of baptism. And notice, he gives in this passage direction on how one should be baptized. He gives us the terminology that should be used. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we must be clear that these aren't simply just words that you're going to hear this afternoon that have really no significance. We're given that instruction because baptism is displaying the glory of the triune God in salvation. And these words point to baptism as being a picture of the work of Christ on the cross. And they point to the fact that this person being baptized is submitting to God's power and control over their life. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A Christian's baptism is unique to all other baptisms. And we also baptize... Because Christ instituted, not only because Christ instituted the ordinance after resurrection, but we also baptized because Christ baptized. John three twenty two. After these things came, Jesus and his disciples came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. Verse 26 of John 3. And they came to John the Baptist and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, meaning Jesus, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Christ baptized. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 16. Mark chapter 16, beginning at verse 16. Mark 16, verse 15.
This is Christ speaking. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now this is a scripture that is often used as a proof of what we believe and what scripture we believe clearly scripture indicates is the false teaching of baptismal regeneration meaning that you you are saved uh, baptism is required for one to be saved because they would point to saying he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved but with close examination we would see that that's not the case at all that being taught here and in fact there is a qualifying factor for us to know about baptism In this passage, Mark 16, the phrase, but he that believeth shall not be damned is the key to this verse. The emphasis in this verse is on believing Christ alone. And we know that because he says, he that believeth not shall be damned. He that believeth on Christ alone is the means to salvation. And many other scriptures point to that. Matthew 28, 19, Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. John 3, 16. Many of us, we we know these verses as an example, point to the fact that only through Christ are we baptized. But this verse should also stand as as a clarion call, as a warning to us as the church that we are saved through Christ alone, but that those who believe in Christ will desire to follow Christ in baptism, in obedience through baptism. And that you only can be baptized if you believe in Christ alone. Baptism is not required for salvation, but baptism is meant to be one of the first public marks of obedience to Christ in desiring to proclaim to the world a new life found in Christ's work alone for salvation. It's one of the first means of obedience. And if you're a believer... You should be baptized. You should be baptized. There is a clear account in scripture of one that was saved and not baptized. That's the thief that was on the cross who dies after Christ. We know Christ tells him you will be with me in paradise. This is in Luke 23, 43. But it's the model seen throughout the New Testament that those that were saved and specifically in the book of Acts desired to be baptized. So we would say that the outward sign of baptism is nothing but being dunked under water. It is nothing at all if it's just meaning that it's being dunked dunked under water. But if it's accompanied with the fact that there has been an inward transformation, then baptism becomes something. And when we go out today, I would point to the fact that the water should not be a distraction. It should simply be a sign, a picture, pointing, moving us, moving our eyes to the work of Christ on the cross. So the thief on the cross, though a good example of being saved and not baptized, is not to be used for a case of not being baptized at all. As a believer, we should see that as the exception, not the norm, and desire and obedience to follow through with what Christ has commanded. Number three, point number three this morning. What is the picture of baptism? 
what is the picture of baptism. At the end of July, my family took a road trip for Natalie Cade's wedding and to go to a worship conference. And we don't do a lot of travel, and so when you're traveling along, you see billboards, which isn't something you see in Fredericksburg. And so as you're traveling along and you're seeing billboards, you're reminded that these billboards are calling attention to something coming. That whoever is advertising on that billboard believes that you're going to be interested enough to stop and purchase whatever they would have you buy at their shop. And if you're traveling, if you've ever traveled from Louisiana into Texas, once you cross over the state line into Texas on I-10, it's a very short amount of time before you see a Bucky's sign. And it's more than 200 miles out. Before you ever get to Bucky's, there's a sign. And if you've ever been to the Mecca of all gas stations and see the 60 plus pumps and the small grocery store, you realize that the signs did no justice to the splendor of Bucky's. It's a crude analogy, I understand. <laughs> Baptism in at least three different ways is the billboard sign pointing to something far more wonderful, far more grand than we could ever comprehend or any picture could ever accurately portray. Baptism is a picture of the work of Christ for us on the cross and it shows us that in three ways. And that's what I want to end with this morning. I want to show you the three ways, at least three ways, that baptism now, now on that backdrop of what Christ has done for us explodes. The first, water, the water of baptism is a picture of the washing away of our sin. First John 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 1.5 And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Paul instructed in Acts 22, Ananias instructs Paul, and now why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. Meaning Christ's blood alone will wash you clean. And if you're sitting under in here under the sound of my voice and have have called upon Christ to save you. His blood has washed you clean, unlike water will ever be able to do. Water will never wash you from sin because the sin in which you are born is as organic to you as your DNA. Water cannot wash it away. But the shedding of blood, Christ's perfect blood, is what can wash away those sins. What can clean us. And we desperately need it. And I, I, would, I would stop here and say, 
If you today are here and have been trying to wash yourself clean with your own version of water from the sin that is in your heart, you're on an impossible mission. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Come to him. He calls to you. He promises you forgiveness forever and eternal for your sin. He alone can save. Sin that in its smallest form put Christ upon the cross out of love for you. God put his one and only son and shed his blood out of love for you. And we would call you today to receive the free gift of salvation. Receive today the work of Christ for you as the only means of salvation. Nothing more is needed. And I would point you to the fact that the Old Testament has two sacraments. It is the sacrament of Passover and it has the sacrament of circumcision. The New Testament has two sacraments. The Lord's Supper and what we'll celebrate today, baptism. But notice this. The Old Testament sacraments are bloody The New Testament ones are not because there's no need for blood any longer. Christ's blood is enough to pay the penalty. Our sin required blood to be shed, death as the penalty. Christ's blood paid that penalty for you and me. And water today in baptism is the symbol of that washing of his blood over us, cleansing us from our sin. Hallelujah. But wait, there's more. Second picture. Water as the judgment of sin. First picture, water is the cleansing blood of Christ. Second picture, water is the judgment of sin. Go with me to 1 Peter 3. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter 3. First Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Verse 19. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been made, having been subjected to him. Peter points to the flood of Noah, the flood sent by God, as judgment for sin in Genesis 7 as a picture of baptism. But then there's another judgment of sin by water in Scripture as well. Jonah 1. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. No one but those on the ark were saved from water. And Jonah would have not been saved from the judgment of his sin through water if it had not been that God provided a way. And there's another one as well, the Egyptians were judged and destroyed in the Red Sea through water. And the Israelites would have been as well if God had not made a way. All of these point to Christ's death alone as the one way that can save us from eternal judgment. When someone goes under the water in baptism, they declare that they deserve the righteous wrath of God that they deserve eternal punishment. And yet when they reemerge from the water, it is a declaration that only through Christ were they able to escape from his righteous judgment. Only by the meritorious work of Christ do they have life. Come, we say this this morning, come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. Listen, in the stead... In the place of ruined sinners hangs the lamb of victory. See the price of our redemption. See the father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured, love untold. Wayne Grudem in his book, Systematic Theology, the amazing truths of passing through the waters of judgment safely, of dying and rising with Christ and having our sins washed away, are truths of momentous and eternal proportions and ought to be an occasion for giving great glory and praise to God. But there's more. First picture, water is the cleansing blood of Christ. Second picture, water is the judgment of sin. Third and final picture this morning, baptism picturing us being joined with Christ in his death burial and resurrection baptism being a picture of us being joined with christ in his death burial and resurrection we read this morning christopher read this morning from romans 6 know you not verse 3 that so many of us as were baptized into jesus christ were baptized into his death therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Even so also we should walk in newness of life. We have life. We have life through Christ. Would it not have been Perfectly just and loving of God to say, I'm just going to spare them from my righteous wrath. I'm just going to save them from sin. I need not do any more. And we would say, very loving. But no. Oh no, it is, is a much greater than that. He not only says, I'm going to save you. 
I'm now going to give you life. And no, 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 that's not enough. I'm now going to give you life in Christ. And if that's not enough, I'm going to adopt you as sons. And if that's not enough, I'm going to give you heirs. You know, in in biblical times, if you adopted someone because you didn't have a son to carry your lineage forward, but God had a son, a perfect son, Christ, he need not adopt us, but he did. And he adopted us and not only adopted us, he didn't have to just, he could have stopped there, but then he gave us the blessing of being heirs with Christ. What is this is this is too much in many ways. This this grace, we cannot comprehend that Christ would give us not only saving grace through the blood of Jesus Christ, he then gives us life. Eternal life. Colossians 2. 11 through 15. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, speaking of baptism, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now listen. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, meaning with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When we watch these three precious souls this morning, this afternoon, go down in baptism and come out, we rejoice for the biggest, greatest part that we see that they have been saved, not by that water, but because they have now the ability, having joined together with Christ, who is the only perfect lamb that could have been slain, that can then give them life because of his work for them. So now it's not just, you see, it's not just not water that we're watching and people going in and getting wet and coming out. It's, it's so much more than that. It's a picture of the gospel that magnifies Christ's worth alone to save us from sin. The sacrament of baptism is a, is a wonder. That's why I said at the beginning, words really cannot describe this in its entirety. But it's a wonder only because of the work of Christ and what he's done upon that cross. And it's a means of grace. We, we get an opportunity this morning, not just the three that will be baptized, but we, as the body of Christ, get an opportunity this morning to have a, a means of grace We've had many this morning. We've sung his praises. We've prayed together. We've, we've studied the word together. But we're going to have another means, a means that we don't get often, which is this means of grace through baptism. Those that will be baptized get the means of grace in that they, they get the blessing of following Christ in obedience to his command to be baptized. They, they get the, the blessing of having this occasion to look back upon and see that, that physical moment where they, they, they told the world, I'm following Christ. I'm submitted to him. 
and God's ways in my life. But we as observers also get the means of grace because our faith is, is bolstered, is encouraged to see God working in lives like he has worked in ours, saving them. And, and we also get the, the means of grace and, and the joy of witnessing the family of God growing. The body of Christ growing, the church growing, Christ loving his bridegroom enough to save her. And we rejoice in being reminded of his saving work for me. Not just for the one being baptized, but for me. He saved me and he's given me life in Christ. He's given me every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice at this, at this picture we get to see this morning. Oh, Father, it, it boggles the mind. It's really unable to be comprehended. This saving grace. Father, that we not only get, have joined with your death and burial, but we have a new life now in Christ for eternity. And one day we will ascend and to be with you for eternity. Father, we are undeserving of such love. Lord, what a what a warmth this is to our hearts, Lord. I pray that our hearts would be stirred this morning again and again and again to the amazement of what gift you have given us. Father, may we not witness this morning, this baptism, with a cold heart. Oh, Father, stir us again to See with eyes that are not physical, spiritual eyes to see the wondrous work you have done for me. And for those who have called upon the name of God, the name of Christ alone. And you have saved them. Father, we, we rejoice with these three souls that will be baptized this morning. But we rejoice because of what you have done for them and what you have done for us. And may that rejoicing be to the praise and glory and honor of your name. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.